0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. In the morning service, uh, this morning I introduced a new topic that's in connection with some of the things we have been saying. I want to talk to the church on the subject of revival praying, yes. revival praying, yes. what is involved in prayer during revival, yes. to bring revival, to increase revival, to sustain revival. It's all come. It all comes through prayer. Amen. Amen. And so uh, we're going to be talking about that. But I, I I wanted to go back and just refresh us a little bit on some of the things that I've said before. And I've received some more insight along these lines in the last uh, few weeks. And so I want to add some things to what I've said before. And uh, this morning we, uh, we talked about times of refreshing and times of restoration. We didn't get into the times of restoration, but we'll get into that further on. Uh, we talked about the fact that from the beginning of the church, uh, right up until the time the Lord returns, he has ordained that times of refreshing or seasons of revival come from the presence of the Lord. Notice there are seasons or times of refreshing, and so it's something that doesn't exist all the time. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be refreshed. Amen. Amen. And it doesn't mean that you can't experience revival personally all the time, because you certainly can. And it doesn't mean the local church can't be revived time because it can. But there are seasons of revival that come to the church world, the church universal church. Uh, and they are seasons, times, that the Lord uh, ordains and he initiates. But then we have something to do with whether or not these times of, of refreshing or revival uh, are what they should be. And what God intends for them to be. Amen. And so we talked about that. We talked about why we need revival. We need revival because people backslide. Amen. That's just a fact of history. That's not a statement of faith. You don't have to believe God for it. It's not a bad confession. It's just a, a, an acknowledgement of history and an acknowledgement of the nature of, of man, uh, his natural hit human tendency. How many of you know you still have a human part? You still have a natural part of your life, amen. And, and where does the devil fight you? He, he fights you in the natural realm, isn't that right? That's where he comes against you, gets against your flesh to try to, to persuade you to not be as on fire, to not be as committed, just to take, a, take the easy road, amen. And so because of that, uh, people backslide. That doesn't mean that everybody has to. Doesn't mean that anybody in particular has to. You don't have to, Amen. But because people do, he sends these times of refreshing to restore to the church. Amen. To turn the tide, to restore spiritual momentum uh, to the plan of God. God has a plan. But when the church is backslidden and people fall away and are not stirred up like they should be, then uh, the plan of God is thwarted. The plan of God is interrupted it's hindered what he wants to do you know god can't just do anything he wants to do that's a religious fallacy it's a religious tradition that god is god and because he is sovereign in heaven he can do anything he wants to and in fact everything that happens is because of god that he permits or allows or or that he is you know holding the strings of everybody's life and all that's going on in the world and nothing happens happens without his you know A good portion of the church still believes that. What little bit the world thinks it knows about God is wrong. And most of the world thinks that if there is a God, he's doing all this stuff. He's causing everything uh, that happens. And and, uh, too many Christians still hold to this uh, fallacy, but it's not true. God is sovereign in heaven, but on the earth he has delegated his sovereignty to men. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. The sovereignty that he had over the earth, he delegated to Adam. He said, now you go and and exercise dominion over the earth. The psalmist says that he put everything under our feet, everything in our hand, delegated it all to man. That's the truth. And so what happens in this earth is not Uh, determined by what God wants, it is determined by whether or not people will line themselves up with what he wants, yield to him, work with him, amen, and so uh, when the church is not doing what it should, when the church is not fervent and on fire and fully uh, uh, revived and stirred and following closely after after the Lord, then the plan of God suffers, and the plan of God is postponed and put off. But we're coming now to the end of the age. And there's not a lot of time left to be putting things off. There's not a lot of time left for the the raising up of another generation. It's fallen to this generation. Now, we we are not certainly setting dates or, or pred- I can't predict the future. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But I think all of us have a witness in our spirit that uh, we're living in the last times, amen. And there are a lot of things that were written about the last days that apply to this generation that could not have been fulfilled in previous generations because of, uh, of, of, of certain prophecies and And things that have to come to pass that have only become, have only come to pass in recent years. And so we're living in the time that the prophets spoke of. We're living in the last days. Amen. And so what is to be done has to be done through the church today, this generation. Listen, we're it. Jesus is coming back. Now, Christians have heard this and said this and believe this. I understand that for nearly 2,000 years. I understand that. But the point is there is a generation that will actually witness the return of the Lord. That will actually, will actually experience the catching away of the uh, 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 it's catching away. There's a generation that will actually experience that. Well, It, uh, uh, by all evidence, we're that generation. And that should be something that causes us to stir ourselves up. I don't want to be caught playing church when Jesus comes back. I don't want to be caught lukewarm when the Lord returns. I don't want to be caught more interested in the things of this world than than the things of that world when that world uh, uh, is revealed in this world. Amen. Amen. Somebody, I heard a Christian woman say one time, you know, I don't want the Lord to come back right now. I I like my life. Christian, she was a genuinely saved woman. How many of you know she's not revived? She needs revival. Yeah, I like my life. I like my little life. I like the things that, that, that I get to do and stuff. And I, and I just like that. And I, I just don't want the Lord to come back right now. Well, uh, she vocalized what a lot of, the way a lot of people are living, whether they want to admit it or not. Amen. And I don't want to be caught like that when Jesus returns. I want to be found doing his will, doing his work, stirred up, on fire, focused, consecrated, dedicated, uh, working together with him, helping the plan. I want to be found doing my part, not just hanging on, not just being a, a weight to other people, but someone that's lifting other people. Amen. We're that generation. He's coming back for us. He actually is. He actually is coming back. He is actually going to appear and catch us away. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Well, we need to be in revival. And that's what he's doing. He's. He is bringing up a and, and, and he's initiated a time of refreshing. And it's an end time refreshing. This is the last great revival. This is the last great revival. In, uh, and I don't have the quote in front of me. But in 1950, in September, uh, September the 2nd, 1950. Uh, Kenneth Hagan was in a tent meeting in Rockwall, Texas, and it was a sun. it was a Saturday night, I think, and uh, it had rained all day, and they were in a, in a tent meeting, I think out behind a church or next door to a church, uh, Brother Tipton's church, in Rockwell, Texas, and that night it had rained all day long, and so the crowd was real small that night. Because it was real muddy and people, a lot of people couldn't get out. And So there was only about 40 people present in this little tent meeting. So Brother Hagen gave a little, uh, you know, fairly short uh, Bible teaching. And then he just encouraged everybody to gather around and pray. About, like I said, about 40 people. Can God move in a house of just 40 people? Yeah, he can. And, uh, and so when Brother Hagen knelt down to pray on the platform, he was praying and he heard these words come up hither. And he just, you know, he thought there was somebody outside the tent. The tent was actually backed up to a hillside, and so just behind where the platform was on the tent, in the back of the tent, there was a hill. And he just ignored it. He thought, you know, somebody had outside had said something. And then again, he heard these words, "Come up hither." And again, he thought, you know, that's there's somebody outside saying something. And and, then again, said. Come up hither. And he thought to himself, I wonder when the ushers are going to go out there and do something. He thought there's some kids or some teenagers or something behind the tent, and they're mocking us or doing something. And he said, you know, and he thought that. why, Why in the world doesn't the ushers go out and do something about that? And then finally, the voice said, come up hither to the throne of God. And so he lifted his eyes up. You know, he's kneeling, praying, looked up, and there was Jesus standing right at about where the top of the tent would be. You know, the tent the, the vision, it just opened up and Jesus was standing there. And, and Brother Hagan was called away and he went up and in in, in, in stood with Jesus. And the Lord talked to him and gave him some revelation concerning different things about his ministry. And uh, took him to heaven, showed him some things about heaven. And, uh, and so all this was going on. People just gathered around the front praying. And uh, I don't know how long, long it lasted, but, you know, not real long, I guess. And then uh, he, he was suddenly, you know, aware of his circumstances, you know, his surroundings again. And so he was just, you know, kneeling there praying. And all of a sudden, he had already had this experience. He had already had this vision. And all of a sudden, he said the power of God hit him and knocked him flat on, his, on, on the floor. I don't know if it was on his face or his back. Knocked him flat on the floor. He said when it, when it happened, he was caught away again. And he said he was standing on a, on a, in this vision, it looked like he was standing on a, on a wide open plain somewhere. And it was just flat in every direction. You, you, there was nothing. There wasn't a tree. There wasn't a hill. Just like you see out, you know, in the desert someplace. And, and you could just see all the way to the horizon and there was nothing there. And he said he, he just, he, he's never felt so alone in all of his life. Just this overwhelming sense of loneliness and just being by yourself. And then he said he, 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 something got his attention right on the horizon. There was a little speck of something moving. And so he, he, he focused his attention on it. And, and as this thing, it got bigger and bigger. And then he realized it was coming directly at him. And so he watched it. And as it came, it finally took form. And it was a, a rider, a horse with a rider on it, a man on a horse. And he was riding at full steam and coming directly toward Brother Hagen. So he's just standing there looking at this thing. And this writer came up, and he had a scroll in, in in his hand. And he rose up. He wrote up to Brother Hagen, and he gave him the scroll, and he said, "Take this scroll and read it." So Brother Hagen took this scroll and began to read what was on the scroll. And as he read what was on the scroll, little by little, as he read it, he saw then in vision form the things that he read. He saw them unfold in front of him. And uh, we won't go. In, I won't go into all the things that that he saw. But uh, it was concerning the end times. And one of the things that then Jesus uh, was narrating uh, what was on the scroll. And talking to him about it. And one of the things that Jesus said was that America had received. This was in 1950, September the 2nd, 1950. Jesus said America is receiving her last call. Many nations have already received their last call and will never receive another. But this is Latin America's last call to repentance. And uh, it went on to say that this is the last great revival. This is the last great revival. And there were several things, and I don't have the chronology of everything that was said, but, but the Lord said a couple of times that the end of all things is at hand. Now, well, that was 1950, September in 1950. The end of all things are, is at hand, and this is the last great revival, and that before the return of the Lord, that uh, there will come a time of miracles. That He said, this, 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 Jesus was narrating and reading this, and it said that, that we've come to a time of miracles, that before the return of the Lord, there will be great uh, miracles such as never has have never been seen before, such miracles that the power of God will be in demonstration, the gifts of the Spirit will be in demonstration, the ministries, the different ministry gifts will be in demonstration like never before, and it'll be a time of unsurpassed miracles. And uh, and then again, he said, "This is the." It was repeated. This is the last great revival. And the end of all things is at hand, and that some people would not be ready for him. Some people in the church would fall away and would not be ready for him at his coming. But that we should strengthen ourselves and stir ourselves up. And then he said that the time that is that is left can be compared to the last seven days of Noah's time, as it was in the days of Noah. And uh, if you read that, you know, the book of Genesis, you'll, you'll see that the Lord said that, that there were seven days that these things were gonna happen. And He said that the time that is left can be compared to the last seven days of Noah's time. So that tells me that there is a time that the Lord has identified. At that time in 1950, there was a certain amount of time left. Well, that's not just open ended. I don't just, that doesn't just go on forever. If there's a certain amount of time left, then that's how much time is left. Now, I don't, I don't believe in setting dates, and one reason I don't is because people who do don't have good track records. Every person I've ever heard of that set a date has heretofore been wrong. That doesn't lead me to want to set dates. <laughs> that 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 encourages me encourages me to not set dates but i just think it's interesting that he said that the last, that the time that remains can, can is is likened to and can be compared to the last 7 days of of Noah's time this september will be 65 years that that that, that was spoken and so we don't know uh, how long those seven days and what it refers to because the, the, the revelation wasn't given. But uh, like I said, it can't go on forever. Amen. And so I believe we are nearing the end of that. And the Lord is, the Lord is returning. And he talked about the last great revival where we're in it. Amen. Now I believe we've been in it for a number of years but it has been hindered. That it started, but it's been hindered. And it was hindered because of of people getting into error in the church and getting into extremism and some things. And the the revival is not where it could have been. But that in these last days, he he is stirring us up to get in the flow To see this revival come into its full manifestation in the time that's left before he returns. Well, it's important that we know the times in which we live. It's important that we know what God is saying to the church. Amen? Turn to Acts chapter 2. Hallelujah. Acts Acts chapter 2. Praise God. Hallelujah. The second chapter of Acts records the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the church age. Now, a lot of people believe that the church was created or came into existence on the day of Pentecost. You hear that a lot. It's just one of those uh, sayings and teachings and 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 so forth, that people just pick up and repeat without thinking about it. But the church didn't come into existence on the day of Pentecost. The church, what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. What is the church made up of? The church is made up of born-again people. Every person that's born again becomes part of the church. Isn't that right? Well, when was the first person born again? The first people to be born again were the first ones to believe on him after he was raised from the dead. The first people, I'll say that again, the first ones that that on that resurrection morning and that night and, and the days following, the, the first ones who believed on him after he was raised from the dead, because that's what salvation is. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord, you shall be saved. Well, that happened. Right after his resurrection, just hours after that, when, when, when people realized that Jesus had been raised from the dead, they said, my Lord. Even Doubting Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Yeah. So they were born again. But the fullness of the Spirit hadn't come. Now, if they were born again, they had the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus appeared to his disciples on, on the night Of the resurrection and he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit well that's when they were born again they believed on him and and the Holy Spirit came to take up residence in them because they were now the temple of God their bodies were the temple of God the Holy Spirit indwelt them but the fullness of the Spirit hadn't come so on the day of Pentecost we have really the first great revival the first great outpouring of the Spirit This outpouring on the day of Pentecost stands as the quintessential example, the the highest example, the number one example of what revival should be and what revival can be and what revival intends for it to be. Notice on the day of Pentecost, it was a, 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 a wonderful and glorious outpouring of the Spirit the, true, the great revivals that have blessed the church down through the centuries that have been recorded and people recognize as the great revivals, they have always been times of a great outpouring or stirring of the Holy Spirit depending upon what people were able to receive. Even during the time of the... Re- no one can deny that the Reformation... Back in the 16th century, no one can can deny that this was a great revival. If you read, now now what it was focused on was on the restoration of certain basic biblical truths to the church. Things that had been lost. The doctrine of faith and grace and so forth. These things had been lost to the church. How? How? Because of backsliding. And so it was a great, the Reformation was a great revival. If you read beyond just the surface and study it out, you'll find that during that time there were people being filled with the Spirit. They didn't understand it. It, uh, it wasn't the focus necessarily because it was a revival of doctrine and a restoration of certain truths. But along with that, people were being filled with the Spirit. There were manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And all of the great revivals that have happened during the church age have been marked by, by widespread eh, 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 or, or lesser so uh, outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And it's the will of God that they all, all revivals be times of great outpourings of the Spirit. And if you'll study, you'll see uh, the moving of the Spirit and the operation of the Spirit during all these revivals. Uh Something that I pointed out that I, thought, that I think was, was, is very important, it was very important to point out when I was in California, is that when revival comes, what I've, what I've been able to, to understand and read about revival, studying the different revivals, it seems that when revival comes, it most often does not look like what people think it would look like. It looks different than the previous revival. Like I said, the Reformation was a great uh, uh, move in in restoring the church to certain biblical truths, just basic biblical truths that we just take for granted today. Everybody knows that it's justified by faith alone. Well, they didn't know that back then. Well, you know, there have been revivals down through through history. Back when the Great Awakenings came in America, uh, the first Great Awakening, Came in, in uh, began in, in 1743 or 1734, I think, in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts. There was a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and God greatly used him. And the way this revival came up was back in the 1600s when the Puritans came to, uh, migrated to the United States or came, came to America. Uh, they came because they wanted to practice purity in, in their Christianity. They were very um, uh, uh, focused on, on living pure and simple Christian lives according to the Word of God. They believed that. You didn't need a clergyman to interpret the word of God to you, that the word of God was open, that anybody could read it, and that we should practice everything in it in all of its, of its fullness and to live humbly and holy before the Lord. Now, the, the Puritans have, history has endowed the Puritans with uh, a lot of un, untrue stereotypes. They're kind of, uh, they've been represented as a bunch of, of uh, sour Mean-spirited persecutors of witches, <laughs> and uh, and you just you just the word Puritans is almost a a a, 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 a negative thing to, to say even to, to even mention. That's not true about them at all. In fact, the Puritans weren't even teetotalers. They actually drank. Now that's that's kind of a, shatters the stereotype, doesn't it? They believed in, in drinking wine in, in moderation. So, a lot of the stereotypes that uh, have been re- represented, you know, uh, are, are uh, uh, you know, uh, foisted on, on the Puritans, are not true. They just simply wanted to live holy lives, simple lives before the Lord. Well, the colonies, uh, that's how the colonies started. Well, over time, though. The second generation came along, and this is always the, the 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 how the devil works. He always tries to water down because things are not fully passed down as they should be. Sometimes the second generation, the second generation came along, and and, and they weren't as consecrated as as their uh, parents were. They began to be more interested in natural things, money, acquire now now. The Puritans' uh, devotion to God produced prosperity. Very early on, I mean, the 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 the, the uh, uh, towns that they established, God blessed them, and it produced prosperity. But prosperity then became the focus. Yeah. If I can remember the quote, somebody once said that. That godliness gave birth to prosperity, and then the daughter devoured the mother. (laughs) Do you understand that? Prosperity became the the object and the objective, and the second generation were more interested in money, more interested in acquiring uh, assets, and that's when the conflict began with the Native Americans. It was with that second generation. The first generations of Puritans lived in harmony with the Native American. It was that second generation because they began to exploit people. They began to exploit uh, the, the natives uh, living in, in North America. So anyway, uh, uh, spirituality declined. And in, by 1662, something was adopted in the churches in New England and it was called the Halfway Covenant. Now what the Halfway Covenant said was that, and this was, this was designed to, to allow the backslidden children some access to the church. The halfway covenant said you could join the church and be a member of the church. Even if you did not profess to an actual new birth experience, even though you did not profess to have a, an actual uh, spiritual rebirth conversion, if you didn't have that, you could still join the church by, by this halfway covenant. But the only thing is, you're, and, and, and by this, your children, if you join, your children could still be baptized. Even though you did not confess to having a new birth experience. The only thing that was prohibited was that you couldn't receive Holy Communion. If you came in by the halfway covenant, you couldn't receive Holy Communion. Well, by the time the next generation came, their children came along, the bar against the the receiving communion had been waived. And all of the the rights and, and the acceptance in the church was granted. Well, you can see the church very quickly became full of people who weren't saved. That was the condition of the church in the mid-1700s. Like I said, in 1743, this this pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards in New Hampton, uh, Massachusetts, got up and and preached this message, and it, it, it so stirred people because the title of his message was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And... Before he preached that message, a group of ministers had become concerned and and, and certain lay people had become concerned because of the lack of spirituality, the decline, the ungodliness, And by this time, debauchery, drunkenness, immorality was just rampant. Angela told me this morning, I said rampant twice. I got that from listening to Brother Hagin. He used to say rampant. And I didn't realize I said that. It's rampant. And I didn't realize I had picked that up for her. She said, do you realize you said that twice? I said, I didn't know I said it once. It became an obstacle to me. <laughs> so, so sinfulness and, and, and sinful living had become rampant in the church. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so these clergymen began to be very concerned about it, and they began to pray. I said they began to pray. God began to stir people, and more and more people began to pray. And Jonathan Edwards stood in his pulpit this, this particular Sunday morning and preached this now world-famous you know, uh, uh, message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And people began to suddenly realize that they weren't saved. They were in the church, but they were going to hell so the first great awakening what the, and I said all that to say it was different than the the earlier revivals it was different than the revival in the reformation just a few hundred years before that it 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 focused on the sinful condition of man it was a revival of salvation but if you read, there are documents. Brother uh, Brad gave me a book that I, that I value. That's a great little book, couple of, two, two or three years ago. And it has some some the actual documents, some of the letters that were written between some of the ministers. There was a great controversy during the first great awakening concerning these, what were they called? Demonstrations or, or manif- manifestations. There were things that were happening that, that uh, caused a lot of controversy. People were falling out. In the Spirit, people were getting drunk in the Spirit. People were shouting and dancing and rolling on the floor and moaning and crying out loud. There were all these manifestations of the Spirit. During this time, people were being filled with the Holy Spirit, but it it wasn't as widespread as it could have been because there was such a controversy about it. And in these documents, in this, in this book Brother Brad gave me, it, 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 uh, there's a copy of these letters that were written back and forth. And there were those who were in favor of the demonstrations in the revival and some that were against the demonstrations. And it was a big deal. It was a big issue, a big controversy. And, and uh, it looked different than anything that had happened before. And because it was different, it caused people to stumble. Then along came in, in uh, concurrent with this, you know, we had the, the preachers coming from uh, Britain to the United States. John Wesley came over and, uh, you know, he was uh, uh, ostracized uh, by the church. He was, a, he was a, uh, a minister in the Church of England and he was actually thrown out of the church because he dared preach outside. He actually went outside. It was considered blasphemy to preach the gospel outside the church building. You could only preach it inside because it was sacred and it wasn't to done. And so he went outside and just gathered crowds there in in, uh, England. And masses of people came to him. He got thrown out of the church because of it. It didn't look right. It just didn't look right. We've never done that before. And then, of course, he came over. George Whitefield even had greater crowds over here, and I think he was uh, perhaps uh, influential, if I remember, in kind of encouraging uh, John Wesley in his outdoor meetings. But these great preachers were doing things that had never been done before, and because of that, people rebelled against it. Revival, when it comes, it doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like in people's opinions, you know, the, there was another great awakening, in, in around uh, the latter part, you know, that revival kind of waned. Guess what happened? Backslide again, and so that that waned, and, and towards the end of the of the 18th century, the end of the 1700s, then it was time for another revival, and in the 1790s and going on into the 1800s was the second great uh, awakening, and again, it was a a, a, a stirring of people but uh, realized that they had that they had fallen away. Now, there was a holiness revival in the mid to late 19th century, the late 1800s. And the holiness revival was they they emphasized the same things that the puritans had emphasized, but the revival looked differently because it was conducted differently. The puritans that revival took place in the established churches of New England. First, well, first in England and then in New England. There was a, there was a, a move of the, of the Puritans. And, but it took place within the structured church. Well, when the holiness revival came in the mid to late 1800s, it took place out in the country. People began to leave home and they'd get in their covered wagons and their carts and they'd go off several days out into the woods somewhere. And there'd be a great a gathering of thousands of Christians and they'd get together. They'd leave their home and they, that's where the term camp meeting. They would actually go and meet in camp for several days at a time, maybe a week at a time. And, uh, and hear fiery preaching. And they'd have these religious services outside, and, and they, would get, they would leave their home, leave their ordinary lifestyle and their pursuit, and, and get away. That's, that's kind of the setup for how, how, why we have youth camps. It's, an, it's, it's time for, 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 for folks to get away and get along with God, get separated from other things. Camp meetings, the tradition of camp meetings came out of that holiness revival. Well, it looked different. It was out in the woods. And that caused people to stumble. Well, we know what happened, what followed that. In, in the uh, early days of the 20th century was the, was the great and, and famous outpouring, the Pentecostal Revival. Now, the Pentecostal Revival was different. It looked different than the camp meeting revival, the holiness revival. Because now the focus was on genuinely on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That was the central Element the, simple, the central identifying element of the Pentecostal outpouring was speaking in other to being filled with the Spirit and speak people can begin to to, to be uh, all during the latter part of the 1800s and right into the first few days of the uh, of the of, of 1900s there was this desire what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit people had all kinds of different ideas what it meant and people were hungry to be filled with the Spirit. And and suddenly, you know, they they begin to study. Well, what does it mean? In a group, in in a Bible school in, in Topeka, Kansas, studying the scriptures, finally come up with the idea. Well, according to the Bible, to be filled with the Spirit means that you speak with other tongues. That's the evidence. And so when the Pentecostal revival came, it looked different than anything that had come before. Now, a lot of holiness people because they were hungry. The holiness people were hungry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They just didn't know what it was. A lot of the holiness people came into the Pentecostal. Uh, my, my particular family background. My mother, when she died in, in 2010, she still identified, we were members of the Church of God. The Church of God was first of all a holiness church before it became a Pentecostal church. And after all of these years, my mom still referred to our movement as as holiness, she was talking about somebody that that you and I would say, you know, came into the church, got filled with the spirit. She said, well, they became holiness. She still, and the point, she still identified. The point is, she, she still identified with the holiness movement, but it but it embraced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, this this Pentecostal outpouring, uh, there were a lot of people who who just couldn't they couldn't accept it. It just because it, it didn't look right. All of a sudden, you had blacks and whites worshiping together. You know, we all know about Azusa Street, but the other revivals that, that were taking place around the country, these, the, you, had, you had blacks and whites worshiping together, poor and rich. There was, there was all classes disappeared. And everybody came together. In fact, the, the, the Azusa Street revival was, was headed by a black man. Well, that was shocking in America. And it caused a lot of people to stumble. A lot of people could not accept that this was a move of God because there was integrated services. They just couldn't. And there was a, a great deal of, of things that were written, a lot of slanderous things that were written. The newspapers picked it up. And it was a big controversy that that in this little mission down on Azusa Street, of course we know that it was small, but it but it but it uh that flame spread all over the world. People came there from all over the world and took, and took Pentecost back to them all over the earth. And so it was a tremendous uh, outpouring, but it was small in number. But the, but the papers in Los Angeles, the newspapers and so forth, they wrote about it, and it was, and it was strongly criticized, widely criticized, because, because there was integration going on. It looked different. Well, you know, that was the, the Pentecostal outpouring. Well, then, in the 1940s came the healing revival. Well, the healing revival was different; it looked different. Now, during the, the Pentecostal revival, the turn of the century, there were a lot of healings. I have documents that that were uh, I have a record of the various uh, uh, weekly or monthly newsletters that came out from this from the Azusa Street Mission, and all in there there are testimonies of healings. People were being healed. But the focus was not on the healings. The focus was on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, when the healing revival came, guess what? The focus was on healing. Tremendous healings. I mean, when that healing revival broke, it, it, people were being filled with the Spirit. But, uh, and, and so there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But there were so many healings that that's, that's, the, how, that's, that's what identified the revival. Brother Hagen said... In in his day, he said that he knew a man, and, and this wasn't just one person. This has happened more than once. This one man told him that he and his wife, before the healing revival came, they went around to churches, and he and his wife would sing, and they would testify and kind of exhort a little bit, and then give an invitation people get saved. He said, I never prayed for anybody to be healed. He said, when that healing revival came, he said, I just decided one time, I'll just pray for somebody. He said, to my utter amazement, a miracle took place and somebody got healed. He said, I, saw, I just added healing to my repertoire. I just started laying hands on people. And he said, some of the most amazing miracles. He said, I've never prayed for anybody to be healed before. Brother Hagen said, during those days, it was almost like healing was in the air. I mean, it was just a wave of healing power went all over America, and he said it was just, it was almost like it was in the atmosphere somewhere, and, and you, you think that's strange that people would hold uh, meetings like that. I remember as just a child in the 1950s, there was a man who came to our church, he and his wife, and uh, if I remember right, their name was Branham, not associated with, with William Branham, but but this, this older couple, oh, I thought they were old, they might not have been, I was a kid, you know, but... uh they came to church and he didn't really preach. He had a big bass, you know, bass guitar, what do you, a double bass, is that what it's called? Bass fiddle? Stand up bass, you know, the big upright, is that what it's called? An upright bass. That was his instrument. And he, would, he and his wife, I think she played the accordion, I, I don't, I'm not really sure on that. But his wife, he and his wife would sing. Now listen to this. This church had two main sections. Two main sections, and so there were two aisles. Our church did. And this man, he would get up, he and his wife, they'd start singing, and he'd take this, this upright bass, and he'd, and he'd pull it up off the floor and, and balance it on his hip, and he'd play it like this, and they'd walk up and down the aisles like this, and she had a recording, and, and they would sing, and he'd pl- play a, a, a double bass, an upright bass, up and down the aisles, and, and singing, and people would just come to the Lord. People would get saved. It was, he would just exhort. Well, when this healing revival came, people like that started laying hands on the sick. And then it was, they had a healing ministry suddenly. Well, it looked different. Now, this revival, was instead of being in camp meetings out in the woods somewhere, instead of being, you know, in, in a city format, uh, this revival was, on the, was in the cities, but it was on the outskirts of town. And it, they were in tents, but they weren't camping. So you had, you had people coming to the, the healing revivals. These were conducted, like I said, on the outskirts of the major cities. I went to them as a little boy. I went to some of these healing re, uh, crusades, tent revivals. And tremendous! I remember going to this particular uh, evangelist meeting in the 1960s. Now, the, the healing revival lasted from 47 to 58, but a lot of these ministers continued this. And I remember, you know, in the in the late 50s and early 60s, going to some of these meetings. I guess in the mid to late 50s, because I was a real little boy, and I remember all the miracles. I remember empty wheelchairs. They had them hanging up on the on the on the on the, on the like the the temporary wall they built behind the platform. They had crutches and wheelchairs and braces and all kind of things that people had come up and gotten healed from and took them off and threw them aside and they would hang them up there behind the platform. And I remember seeing all that. Great miracles took place. But the thing about it was, it was conducted in tents on the outside of town, usually on the poorer side of town. Sawdust floors, very humble. It tended to be... My particular church denomination, listen it's not like it is to, it was not like it is today to be a Pentecostal was to be put down. I mean if you if you weren't living during that time you can't hardly uh, imagine it was almost a shameful thing. The last thing the next to the last thing I wanted anybody at school to know about me was that I was a Christian The, the second last thing was that I was a Pentecostal, because we were called holy rollers, and it was and it was a slanderous title. And I didn't want, I could, I just could not afford that to get out then among my friends that I actually went to a holy roller church. I mean, I was just ashamed and embarrassed about it. My my pastor, when I was a teenager, our church had a had a a, a magazine called the Church of God Evangel. And so my pastor decided that, that he, he'd take a, a box of these and he put the stamp of the church, you know, the address and phone number on the back of each one of them. And he gave them to the pastor's son and me. We were teenagers. The pastor's son was driving at this time. And he said, I want you to go out and pass these out, put them on all the doors in the neighborhood, you know, around the church. Well, that was okay for my, the, the pastor's son because the church was right on, the, on a creek. And on the other side of that creek, you went to one high school. And he went to that high school over there. Well, I went to the high school on the side of the creek where the church was. So I had to go into this neighborhood. And I don't know why we agreed to do this, but we did. So we got these, these magazines. We're driving around. I'm thinking, I, can, I am not going door to door in the neighborhood where all my friends live and be handing out Holy Roller magazines. <laughs> This is not going to happen. So we're driving around. We're trying to figure out what to do. And we found an empty lot between two houses on the river. And we were driving by. And I said, hold it, hold it, hold it. Gary, back up, back up. He was driving. I said, look out there in that field. There was somebody, I guess kids or something, had dug a hole in the middle of this field. And there was a big pile of dirt. I said, give me that box. (laughs) So I went out and took this box and put it in this hole. And, uh, and we got back in the car, we thought, all right, we've, we, we've got this handled. So we went to, to Burger King, spent about an hour and a half at Burger King, you know, just goofing off, kind of, you know, covering for ourselves. We came back. We came back to the house. The pastors uh, came out, you know, to meet. We were sitting in the driveway talking, and after a few minutes, he came out, Brother Braddock, and he said, Hey, boys, did you get those evangelists passed out? Oh, yeah, we did. Good, I really appreciate that. You know, we stood there, he stood there, and he was real jovial, and he was a lot of fun. You know, and we sat there and talked and cut up, and all of a sudden, just like that, just like you snapped his finger, his whole demeanor, demeanor changed, just like this, just went blank. He said, boys, he said, Mrs. So-and-so that lives over there on such-and-such such a drive, she saw you put those evangels out in the, in the hole, and she went and got them. Of course, it had the church stamp on it. She called me, and I went and got them. You no, know, he didn't say I went and got it. He said she called me and told me that you what you guys had done. He, and he had this look on his face like, I can't believe you. You have let me down. I am so hurt. I mean, I just I just can't believe you guys, you boys promised me you'd do this. I am so disappointed in you. He had this look, I mean, we just felt terrible. We just sat there and it was just silent. I thought, oh no. And all of a sudden, he threw his head back and started laughing. Ah! <laughs> just started laughing. I got you, guys. I got you. He's laughing at us. We're sitting there looking at each other. And he is holding his belly. He was a, a, a kind of a chubby man, you know, and, and he liked it. He was holding his belly, and he's just laughing at us. Ah! We looked at each other. And we, we thought, all right, he's cool. He's cool about this. It's okay. He, this, he's just messing with us. It's okay, it's okay. So we started laughing. So we all sat there and laughed for a while. He's laughing at us. We're laughing at ourselves, you know. We're just having a good time. He's, he's cool with this. We're all right. All of a sudden, just like that, his face changed, just like this. He said, now, boys, he said, that box is not in the garage, and I want you to go get it, and I want you to pass it out like you promised me you would. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get found out. I'm going to get found out. Sure as the world, my friends are going to know I go to a holy roller church. And what are you going to do now? He's, he, we're busted. He said, I, I want you just as serious as, 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 you know, death. He said, I, I want you boys to take this thing and do what you promised me you'd do. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you exactly what we did with the, with the evangels. But we found another avenue of deposit, there was an abandoned airport, that there was a, a, a the runway kind of come up a little hill on Hecksure Drive, and there was a dirt road off of Hector Drive, and it went out to the end of that runway, and guys would go out there and, and drag, you know, use it for a drag strip, because they had built a new airport back in 68, I think, in, in north side of Jacksonville, so this was off Hector Drive, so anyway, we found that place, and hallelujah. My point is that it was an embarrassment to be considered a, a, a Pentecostal. They were look, Pentecostals were looked down on, criticized by all the church, all the other churches, and so our our, our, our congregations tended to be tended to be uh, less uh, educated because professional people wouldn't come to churches like ours. You understand what I'm saying? I don't ever I do remember one attorney in our church growing up in all those years. No other professional people in my church I ever remember. We're just common people, just you know, laborers and and blue collar workers. It was kind of a, you know, an unsophisticated crowd. Well then when the charismatic renewal came in in the 60s, it was completely different. Brother Hagin was preaching in 1958 one, one, one evening and all of a sudden, by inspiration, he just said it. He hadn't even thought to say it. He just said, the next revival will be in the church. Well, all the Pentecostals thought it's going to be in the Pentecostal church. Well, it wasn't. It was in the, in the, uh, in the, the whole church. In then in the denominational church world. and because it looked different, you know the healing revival was on sawdust floors in a tent on the side outside of town. Now the charismatic revival is in plush ballrooms, in nice hotels, in big convention centers, and all the fancy people were coming. I mean, the charismatic re- revival, people were being filled with the Spirit in Catholic churches, Lutheran churches, uh, Presbyterian, Episcopal churches, all the denominations, and people of, 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 uh, of means and people with, with uh, education and so forth. I mean, we would go to these charismatic meetings in the 70s when I, I got in on it. It started in 1960. Brother Hagen said that in 1958. Well, and he said the next revival was coming in the in the church. He was talking about the charismatic revival on April the 3rd, 1960. There was a pastor. He was an Episcopal uh, uh, priest in St. Mark's Episcopal Church, Van Nuys, California. His name his name was Bennett, and uh, he was he was preaching this Sunday morning. He got up in, in Van Nuys, California, a, a Episcopal congregation, 2,600 people. And he announced to his congregation that he and a few other people in his church had experienced a personal Pentecost. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Well, it was, it was outrageous. He had to resign from his church. That afternoon, it was a huge controversy. But what happened when he made that announcement, the news picked it up. It was, it was just something that people had prayed about. And it was time. And it was like a wave went across the country. Time magazine picked up. Dennis Bennett's story. The newspapers all across the country begin to report on this Episcopal priest that's speaking with other tongues, and it was a—you just can't believe it. It was a huge news story, and it just swept the country. And the charismatic renewal just bursted on the scene. Well, in the in the seventies, when I got back in the Fellowship, of the Lord, it was still going on. And I tell you what—you'd go to you'd go to hotel ballrooms, and there's attorneys, and doctors, and dentists, and and. Business, successful business people, educators, uh, professors at colleges, presidents of universities, giving their testimonies about, and they're all laying on the floor. Falling out under the spirit, speaking with the tongues, falling out, you know, just experience. And these were the fancy people. <laughs> you know, the well-to-do people. Leading, leading politicians in the city. You know, the mayor was at these meetings. Had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Well that was just it was just so different. It was so different. The Pentecostals thought this can't be God. This cannot the Pentecostal church almost completely missed the charismatic outpour because those women are wearing lipstick and earrings. That's right. You know that can't be God. They're wearing lipstick and earrings. Some of those people drank wine. Some of these people were getting baptized with the Holy Ghost and they were smoking cigarettes. I, I remember telling my mom, early 70s, I said, Mom, there are people being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and I know this guy, he's, he's, he's such and such, and, and I know he's gotten filled with the Holy Spirit, he smoked cigarettes. She said, I just can't believe that. I can't believe somebody could have salvation and smoke a cigarette. That's what she called being saved, getting salvation. I just can't believe a person could have salvation and smoke a cigarette. I said, well, I'm telling you, he's not only saved, he's, he's filled, with the, filled with the Holy Ghost. She said, I just can't accept that. Now, listen, I'm not advocating smoking cigarettes <laughs> or drinking wine. That's not my point. My point is... God was, this spirit was being poured out on hungry people. It didn't look like what we thought it ought to look like. The people didn't look like what we thought they ought to look like. They didn't measure up to our standards. They didn't fit into our little form and our little box. And because of that, we all, well, the, the Pentecostal church really just ignored the charismatic movement for the first 15 years. It wasn't until the late 70s and the charismatic renewal was almost over before they finally accepted it. Hey, God's actually done something. Amen. Well, praise God. My point is when revival comes, it rarely looks like what we think it's going to look like. We're right now, we're in the early days of this word and spirit movement and we have our ideas of what it looks like, what we've already what we've always been done. I'm telling you, we need to be ready for God to move. And to accept and recognize, be sensitive enough to recognize the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When this revival breaks in all of its power and glory, we need to be prepared for it to be a little different. I'm telling you. Amen. Hallelujah. God will visit people in these last days that are hungry. God took people that drank, people that smoked, people that didn't, weren't, weren't living like they should, and God took them because they were hungry, saved them, filled with the Holy Spirit. Those people changed over time, but they didn't look right to begin with. Amen. Well, praise God. Glory to God. it's a big stumbling block to revival when it doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like. But that's just the way revival happens. It's always happened that way. Oh, I tell you what, I, I'm excited because I, I tell you what, we, we don't really know what shape this thing is going to take. We don't really know yet. And, and we need to be a people of prayer. We need to pray this thing in regardless of what it looks like, regardless of who's involved. Amen. I mentioned this morning, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the gay and lesbian groups, you know, are, are, uh, allegedly are, are saying, you know, they're going to come out and try to take the church over. Well, that's absurd to begin with. You can't take the church over. It's born of God. <laughs> but but I, I'm absolutely convinced that we're going to see a great multitude of these people come into the kingdom of God during these last days. Hallelujah. We need to be prepared for people who don't look like we look, act like we like amen and recognize the hand of God recognize the move of God when it happens that doesn't mean accept things that are unscriptural doesn't mean accept things that are out of order it means that you have to realize when God is moving sometimes he has a bigger plan and and, and there's a bigger scheme going on than what we see with our natural eyes amen well praise the Lord hallelujah I've gone on long enough tonight probably too long but it's important that we get prepared for revival amen hallelujah it's bigger it's bigger than what we know and, it's, and it's, it'll be different than what we've experienced it'll, it'll be the whole the thing about all these revivals I've talked about every single one of them were scriptural every single one of them the word of God was honored the truth of the word of God was, was in manifestation genuine outpourings of the Holy Spirit that will happen today it just looks a little different We're still going to judge everything by the word. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Let's stand up. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for these last days. Thank you, thank you, thank you for revival coming to the church. Glory to God. A great visitation. A great refreshing is coming to the church. Glory to God. And we're in the edge of it, Father. But, Father, help us not to try to to have preconceived ideas. Help us, Father, not to shut it down because of of what we think it ought to be. Help us, Father, to have the ability to embrace, to recognize your hand when it's at work and to go with your hand, to go with your plan, to go with the flow of the Spirit. Help us, Father. We're going to need your help. We're going to be challenged. We're going to need your help, Lord. Glory to God, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. There are going to be some demonstrations of the Spirit that we're not accustomed to. Amen. In every revival that I've talked about, there have been demonstrations of the Spirit that caused concern. And some people got on the wrong side. And they said, well, we've never seen this before. This can't be right. But if it lines up with the word and if it bears fruit, see if it bears good fruit, that was the thing back in the great awakenings. That was the final uh, determining factor. In those who moved with God, they said, well, let's just see what is the fruit of it. People are doing these strange things. They're rolling on the floor and barking and hollering out loud and, 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 and screaming out loud and rolling around. We don't know. But let's just watch and see if there's a change in their lives they judged it on its fruit amen and that's what we got to do that take fruit takes a little while I said fruit takes a little while to develop amen hallelujah Woo, glory great days are upon us great days are upon us (laughs) hallelujah 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 glory to God pour your spirit out father Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out, Father, we pray. Pour your spirit out on hungry people. Glory to God in our nation and around the world, Father. Pour the Holy Ghost out! Glory to God! Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Hallelujah! hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the lord. Praise! <laughs> oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, have your way Father, have your way Holy Spirit, Move the way you want to. Glory to God. Give us the grace, the revelation we need in these last days. We need revelation concerning this outpouring, concerning this revival. We need revelation for the era that we live in, the times that we live in. Father, that we would know what to do and how to conduct ourselves. Glory to God that we would recognize your hand at work when it's working, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory, 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 glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah! 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 Glory to God! Glory to God! Glory to God! Glory to God! Hallelujah! 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 Thank, Thank you, Father! Thank you, Father! Thank you, Father! Oh, Father, we're hungry. We're hungry, Lord. We're hungry for the outpouring of the Spirit in the church, Father. We're hungry on behalf of the church. On behalf of the church. And those who don't know to hunger for themselves, Father, we're hungry for them. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we thank you that more and more churches are experiencing revival. More and more churches are catching on, Father. Hallelujah. They're catching the, the revival fire. And this, this revelation, Father, of what you're doing in these last days, it is spreading, Lord. It is spreading. Glory to God. We thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for that, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Father. We just pray that it spreads more and more and more and more and more. Glory to God. Use us, Father. Use us as witnesses. Glory to God that we can testify everywhere we go, Lord, and witness to the power of God. Glory to God. There are people all around us who will come in to the church in these last days. They're all around us. They don't know it, but their future is in the church. Glory to God. Father, we have to reach them. We have to have a bold, unashamed witness. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm beginning to get things in the mail from people who were in California ministers, and and they're writing me and saying, Thank you so much for for what you ministered in California. They're, They're saying it's changed ministers, it's changed my life. Glory to God. It's catching on. It's catching on. Glory to God. It's catching on. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than us, hallelujah! Glory to God. Get in on it. Stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Say, "I'm gonna. I'm. I'm not missing this." Just say that. You could say that. Just say, "I'm not missing this." I remember when, in in the '90s, when Dad Hagen was having his Holy Ghost meetings. And the spirit was just being poured out. And there, and there was the sense he kept talking about this great end time revival. I remember uh, uh, over and over and time and time and time and time again in prayer. I would say that, Lord, I'm not missing this. I'm not missing this. The devil tried to take my life twice now. And I've said, I'm not missing this. I'm not missing this. I'm not missing this. I'm not missing this. Make that declaration. I'm not missing out on this. I'm not missing. I am not missing out on this revival. Amen. Make that declaration. Follow it up by stirring yourself up. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Great things are happening. Hoo! <laughs> glory to God. This is our day. This is our day. This is our hour. Hallelujah. 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 Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah 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 praise God praise God praise God praise God (laughs) hallelujah are you in it amen glory to God hallelujah praise God the water will get deeper and deeper Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.